thank you, Brother Philip. Well, he, he can sing, can he? I tell you what, we're blessed to have uh, somebody like Philip, and I appreciate him so much. Um, turn with me uh, to Esther chapter 3 and verse 1. Esther chapter 3 and verse 1. Satan has always had a plan of opposition against God, and it started in the Garden of Eden, and it has continued through to this day. And we see it uh, in, in the lives of people who are opposing uh, prayer and, and the Ten Commandments in national life, and uh, people who are against Christianity. They want to take out Christianity from every part of our national life. There's an opposition against the things of God. In other parts of the world, it's even worse. There, there are people who are actually suffering and dying because they named the name of Christ. Satan's program of opposition against the things of God is still going strong. But he cannot win. Uh, his fate has been sealed at Calvary. And so uh, I want to I talk to you tonight a little bit about uh, the sovereignty of God over uh, the plans, the wicked plans of Satan, the evil one, uh, to destroy God's people. We need to kind of be reminded of that sometimes, that God is faithful, that he is with us, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And uh, the scripture that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight has to do with Haman coming on the scene in the story of Esther. Haman is promoted... He is uh, made the highest of all the officials of the king of Persia. And so Haman has everybody fawning all over him, people bowing, and, and the, the language of, of the bowing and falling prostrate may even include the idea of worship, which I think is what, what made Mordecai say, hey, no, I'm not going that far. Um, but... Uh, Haman was honored by everybody, but Mordecai would not bow to him, and it, it ticked Haman off. He heard about Mordecai, and he began to uh, get angry about it, and he decided, well, you know what? I've heard Mordecai's a Jew. I'm not just going to take care of Mordecai. I'm going to take care of every Jewish person. And so he comes to the king, and he says, hey, king, uh, there's a people that lives that is scattered out among the peoples of your empire, and they have different laws. And they don't obey your laws. And, King, I, I think we need to get rid of them. And matter of fact, if we get rid of them, I'll give money into the coffers of the king. And he gives him a, he, he makes a promise for a large sum of money, which apparently the king says, keep your money, but apparently he takes it because Esther later says that her people were sold. And so um, Haman has this plan. The king takes off his signet ring and he gives it to Haman. And Haman makes a plan to exterminate the Jewish people. And he, he uh, casts lots, which is, which is highly ironic, because if you know the scripture, the Bible says that the lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so God takes even the scheduling of Haman's lots, uh, and he, he decides what day he's going to exterminate the Jews by casting lots, and that becomes the day of Haman's demise and uh, of his failure. And so uh, God is taking care of his people. We need to trust God when the enemy is opposing us. 
the title of my message is The Futility of Opposing God. Look with me at verse 1. After all this took place, King Ahasuerus honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, uh, the Agagite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warned him day after day and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman to see if Mordecai's decisions would be tolerated since he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus' kingdom. In the first month, the month of Nisan, in King Ahasuerus' twelfth year, uh, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman for each day in each month, and it fell on the twelfth month, the month Adar. Then Haman informed King Ahasuerus, There is one ethnic group scattered throughout the peoples in every province of your kingdom, yet living in isolation. Their laws are different from everyone else's, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up authorizing their destruction, and I will pay 375 tons of silver to the accountants for deposit in the royal treasury. The king removed his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jewish people. Then the king told Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with as you see fit. The royal scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and the order was written exactly as Haman commanded. It was intended for the royal satraps, the governor of each of the provinces, and the officials of each ethnic group had written for each province in its own script and to each ethnic group in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the royal signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. A copy of the text issued as law throughout every province was distributed to all the peoples so that they might get ready for that day. The couriers left, spurred on by the royal command, and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink while the entire city of Susa was in confusion. The futility of opposing God. What does Satan use to try to oppose God? Well, first of all, he uses powerful enemies. Powerful enemies. Haman was the highest official under the king. He was being honored by the king, and verse 1 tells us that, and everybody was commanded to bow to Haman. This powerful enemy, uh, Haman, was being used by the devil. And I think there have been those kind of leaders all throughout history that have tried to destroy the Jews and now who are trying to destroy Christians. It's part of the enemy's plan against God's people. But as you see, Nebuchadnezzar took the Israelites captive, but guess what? 
God sent them home under Cyrus the Persian. Uh, God reversed the negative thing that had happened to them. And God has protected his people throughout history. And even though there have been persecutions and difficulties for the Jewish people and also for the Christian people, God is sovereign and God's kingdom still goes forward. Isn't it interesting that years after uh, AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, uh, Israel became a nation again in 1948. Can I tell you something? That's a prophecy of God being fulfilled and it shows the sovereignty and the power of God. God preserves his people. And God is sovereign over the kings of this world. So whatever powerful enemy, you say, well, I don't have necessarily a king against me. Maybe, maybe there's a boss, maybe there's a family member, maybe there's somebody that you know in your neighborhood that's giving you a hard time. Can I tell you that God is sovereign over the situations that you face? Take these things to him in prayer. Uh, put them at God's feet and ask God to, to work on your behalf and trust God in the midst of it. Ask God how to respond in the situation and God will be faithful to use you. So the futility of opposing God, Satan often uses powerful enemies. Secondly, he uses evil plots. Look at verse 6. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus' kingdom. Evil plots. I want to tell you something. There are people who are being strategic about trying to wipe Christianity out of the national life of the United States. There are those who go around and pick people to sue in our nation so that they can try to pressure people to be quiet and not speak the name of Jesus. There are people such as ISIS, the, the organization ISIS, uh, who are going around killing Christians in horrible ways. Uh, they've, get, they've got a plan to try to stop Christianity. But I'm going to tell you something. The plots and the plans that go against the Lord will never ultimately succeed because God is able to overcome these plots. And we're seeing this, this very book. We see the plot of Haman fail. I want to tell you something. Somebody may have a plan against you. Um, I heard years ago of somebody, a Christian, who was worried about being cursed by a witch. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about a witch. The God you serve is more powerful than the demon they serve. He, Jesus, spoke and the demons quivered with fear. They had to go with one word that he spoke. Uh, and they had no option. They trembled before him. They cried out in terror before Jesus Christ because he is so much greater no evil plot of the enemy can stand against God's people. Um, the devil is described with his demons in 2 Corinthians as those like who are kind of sitting around a round table plotting against Christians. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and of God. Whatever the, the enemy has to dish out, God's power is greater. So trust the Lord. Take these things to God in prayer and trust Him uh, in the midst of uh, when people are plotting against you. Recognize that God is sufficient. The futility of opposing God. What does the devil use to try to oppose God? Powerful enemies, evil plots, thirdly chosen times. In verse 7, 
speaks of Haman casting lots to try to determine the best time to do this, to fulfill his evil plot. The month of Adar. Um, I, I want you to know something. Timing is used by God. The enemy may have a time where he's going to try to do something in our lives, but even that is under the sovereignty of God. God is able to take even the enemy's plots against us and use it for good. I'll give you a for example. You remember Paul in the New Testament? Uh, the Bible says that Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and you know, he has that great chapter in, in 2 Corinthians where he says we were cast down but not destroyed and, and all of these things. Uh, why? Because he says, he says God wanted us to be able to comfort you with the comfort that we receive. You see, God was working in Paul's life and even through the suffering and even through the difficulty and the times, uh, the difficult, hard time that Paul was going through that I believe was uh, intended by Satan to discourage him and to stop his ministry, God said, I'm going to use this. And he says, Paul, I'm going to give you a special ability to comfort my people because of the trial that you've been through. And so God, God caused the enemy's plan to backfire, and that time in Paul's life that was supposed to be a negative thing turned into a positive thing. Isn't it like God to turn the negative into the positive and use it for his glory? So, so the devil uses a chosen time, but hey, the times of our lives are in God's hands. Every day of our life is written in his book. I want to tell you who's in charge of time. God is. I don't care who's planning what. God is sovereign. And so the futility of opposing God. What does the devil use? He uses powerful enemies, evil plots, chosen times, unfair accusations. Unfair accusations. If you look at verse 8. Haman's telling the king their laws are different from everyone else's. There's, that's true to some degree. Uh, the Jews did have a unique law. But he says, and they do not obey the king's laws. Well, there was only one law that was being disobeyed, and that was the law that uh, Mordecai should bow to Haman, and Mordecai refused to do that on the basis of his religious belief. But he's, he's trying to make the king believe that this people group is not safe to the empire. That they're disobeying the king's laws. That they don't care about the king's laws. And it's not in the best interest of the king to tolerate them. Isn't it highly ironic that Mordecai had just finished saving the king's life a few years earlier? Isn't it highly ironic that Queen Esther had brought the king much favor? Uh, in, in her position there in the king. And she had been a loyal subject. And she told the plot to the king that, that Mordecai had discovered. Uh, they were loyal subjects of the king, but they were being unfairly accused by their enemies. Have you ever been unfairly accused? Don't you hate that? It just feels so unfair. And uh, I, I can remember a, a season of time where there was a whole lot of unfair accusations against me in my life. And uh, I was frustrated by it. In some, in, in some cases, I was afraid. What is going to happen because of these unfair accusations? But you know what I found? God was able to protect me even from the lies of people. 
And God can protect you from the lies of people as well and from the lies of the enemy. Hallelujah. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So uh, unfair accusations. What do you do with unfair accusations? Take them to the Lord. Say, Lord, here's what they're saying. Um, I, I just want to say, Lord, take care of me. Fulfill your purpose in my life and protect me from these unfair accusations. David talked a lot about that in the Psalms. He would pray, Lord, protect me from my enemies. They're lying in wait for me. Lord, they're waiting to destroy me. Protect me, God, from these enemies that are around me. And God protected him and brought him through. So the futility of opposing God. What does the enemy use? Powerful enemies, evil plots, chosen times, unfair accusations, wicked laws. Verse 10 says, the king removed his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman. Isn't it an awful thing when the people making the laws of the land are wicked? I want you to know something. There's some wicked laws in our nation. There's a wicked law uh, that says that marriage can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman rather than a man and a woman. That's a wicked law. It is not based on righteousness. Uh, I believe an even more wicked law is the law that makes it legal uh, to perform abortion in our land. That's a wicked law. Hundreds of thousands of babies have been killed in our nation because of a wicked law. And God will hold our nation accountable if we don't repent of it. I believe he is holding our nation accountable. I think we're seeing some judgment already. But... Wicked laws are one of the ways the enemy tries to come against God's people and God's purpose and God's plan. But even here, God is able to overcome it. God overcame the wicked law of the king. The king was careless, wasn't he? He just said, hey, Haman, hey, you're my buddy. Here's my ring. You go do what you think you ought to do. And, and Haman goes out. He's wicked to the core and he's making these evil laws. Guess what? God is in charge even if the government is, is not uh, acting in a wise way. He's in charge even when there's wickedness in the government. And God was able to bring about a set of circumstances uh, and, and ultimately deliver God's people and bless them through the circumstance that was meant to destroy them. Now, we're going to get to that part. We're not to that part yet. But it, it's an amazing thing what God can do. So wicked laws are one of the things the devil tries to use. So if there's a wicked law, you stand for Jesus Christ. You do what's right. It is better to obey God than to obey man if we have to make a choice. And be faithful to the Lord. Pray to the Lord about the problem and ask God to solve the problem. By the way, we ought to pray for those who make laws in our land. And we ought to pray for godly people of integrity to be our leaders because those laws can have an effect on our lives um, so uh, the futility of opposing God what does Satan use powerful enemies evil plots chosen times unfair accusations wicked laws heartfelt hatred verse 13 letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy kill and annihilate but why do you need to say that? Why don't you just say to kill? Or why don't you just say annihilate? Or why don't you just say destroy? To destroy, to kill, to annihilate. I think you see the emotion of Haman coming through in this edict. 
He just has a heartfelt hatred. Look at this. He says, kill them all. Young and old, women and children, plunder their possessions. He has a visceral hatred of the Jewish people. There are some people who will have a visceral hatred of the things of God, of God's people, of Christians. Um, I heard recently, uh, I've heard this a couple of times recently, that uh, one of our lawmakers interviewing justices for positions in our federal court system says to them, you are not qualified for this job because you're a Christian. That's, something, that's a serious thing. There are, there are lawmakers in our country that are saying those very things. And uh, Christians are being given a hard time. That should never be uh, a litmus test for service in our national life. But there is a heartfelt hatred among many who are enemies of God's people. There's a heartfelt hatred. I, you know, you look at the, the uh, situation, the Palestinian and Israeli conflict and and, and, and all the stuff that's going around there in the Middle East, uh, there's, there's hatred there. It's a visceral hatred. I, I read a, a book a, a couple of years ago about this young man who was, he was raised up in Hamas. And he ends up coming to Christ. It's really a fascinating story. Um, but he talked about just the visceral hatred that he had for Jewish people. And uh, even... His, his captors a couple of times who were kind to him, he, he wanted to, an opportunity to kill them, and he would talk about that, this visceral hatred. Listen, I believe that comes straight from the enemy. He wants to destroy God's people. And so this hatred is one of the tools that he uses. By the way, that's one reason that we as God's people don't need to use that tool. We need to be forgiving. We need to make a choice to forgive our enemies. Uh, so if people are hating you, can't do a whole lot about it, can you? <laughs> you? Have you ever had somebody just hate your guts? I mean, isn't that a, a weird feeling? Um, I had one man, I think, that hated my guts at my last church. I mean, he could not stand me. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Matter of fact, I remember actually going into the church and wondering if he would be waiting for me. He actually was waiting for me in the dark one time when I went in there. And I think it was an intimidation tactic, but... Uh, I actually wondered, are, are they going to be waiting in there for me? Am I going to have to defend myself in the church? Uh, this, is, this is the situation I was experiencing. But that there was a heartfelt hatred. But that's always been the case. There are always going to be people who hate Christians and who hate the things of God. It's one of the devil's tools that he uses. Trust God in the midst of it. Bring these things to God in prayer. And trust that God's purpose will be accomplished. Futility of opposing God. The devil uses powerful enemies, evil plots, chosen times, unfair accusations, wicked laws, heartfelt hatred. And finally, organized preparations. Look at verse 14. A copy of the text issued as law throughout every province was distributed to all the people so that they might get ready for that day. Okay? So he's, he's made this decision in the first month. He's been casting lots. Okay, we're going to do this in the twelfth month. So if you think about it, it'd be like in January, you're making a, a plan of what you're going to do in December. He, he wasn't just doing this haphazardly. He's sending these letters out to every corner of the empire. And he's saying, look, this is what you're going to do. We're setting aside this day 
to kill all the Jews. And guess what? You get to plunder their possessions. Dollar signs, right? Can you imagine if, if our government said, okay, we're setting a day this year, so anybody, can, you can come in the church with guns or knives, whatever you want to do, and, and you can kill anybody you want to kill, and you can take anything you want to take. Can you imagine what would happen? We might have to, to rely on Smith & Wesson or something, you know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, you rely on God. But anyway, um, organized preparation. They were, they were organizing for the purpose of exterminating the people of God. They were efficient in their preparations. And so um, all of this preparation, all of this organization that Haman was doing was going to backfire because there is no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Proverbs tells us that. I don't care how organized you are. I don't care how much power you have. I don't care uh, what your planning strategy is. It does not matter because God is ultimately sovereign over our lives. And so that ought to give you comfort. If, if somebody like Haman and his organizational plan, guess what? If somebody's got a plan against you and they're organized and they're efficient and uh, have you ever had somebody that didn't like you and that you thought was against you that you thought might be smarter than you and you're like hmm what's going to happen with this listen I'm going to tell you something as you trust God as you rely upon the Lord he can carry you through those times and protect you uh, from these things and so uh, the Roman Empire is a great example right the powerful Roman Empire was trying to at different stages under different emperors uh, Diocletian and Nero and, and, and uh, another one I can't think of right off the bat, but uh, they were trying to kill and exterminate Christians in the empire. The most powerful nation, the most powerful empire in the world couldn't do it. Why? Because God's kingdom was formed. That's the awesome thing about being a child of God. No matter what may come, we have a God who is ultimately in charge. No matter what may come in your family, God's in charge. No matter what may come in your individual life, God's in charge. No matter what may come in our church, God's in charge. No matter what may come in this city or in this nation, God is in charge. He is sovereign. Any opposition against God's purposes must ultimately fail. Now, the devil will win some battles here and there. But Christ has already won the war. And uh, God's kingdom. I, I love what uh, Jesus told Peter. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. I, I believe the gates of hell. The gates back in those days were the places where the leadership met uh, to talk about governing the city. Uh, the, the gates of hell talk about the leadership of hell. All of the, the wisdom and the leadership of hell cannot stand against the purpose of God. He's in charge. It's futile to oppose God. So what should you do? Well, if you don't know Christ, bow the knee to Christ. Uh, surrender your heart to him and receive the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ alone and his shed blood at Calvary's cross. If you're a child of God, trust him. He's got it. He's able. Uh, whatever may come in this world, take heart. Lift up your head. I love what Jesus said. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the...